innovation requires the faith to go off the grid. You know, it, it requires the the letting go that, you know, there's not always a roadmap ahead. In innovation, you're the one creating the map for yourself, for your business. I'm David Kepron, and this is Next Level Experience Design. You know, I'm an architect, and of course, I've always been tuned in to my physical environment. Um, you know, my home, however, is a little bit like the shoemaker and shoes story, right? I've never really focused on my house per se until I think I hit the hospitality space and started really beginning to think more, more creatively about my environment. So now, you know, my bedroom is this nest where I'd be delighted to spend any number of nights as if it was a hotel room. I've worked hard to build my headboard. It's just some, it's an extraordinary thing. Um, and I've begun to focus more on the use of color and textures as a way to express myself, something I didn't really do very much before. Certainly when I was working in the retail space, my house was not a store, and so I wasn't focusing on it. Um, I'm moving all my mid-century black, you know, Mies van der Rohe, Barcelona chairs and my Le Corbusier chaise, you know, and my Noguchi tables. They all are sort of like in one room, sort of one little aggregate of mid-century modern stuff. And um Looking at textures and colors that are now drawn from different cultures, which is really kind of interesting. So my guest today finds the world of travel a never-ending experience of inspiration from which she draws colors and patterns and textures and turns them into textiles, furniture, and home decor. And she describes her aesthetic as a global eclectic with a refinement to it. Stacey Garcia is a successful creative entrepreneur and founder of multiple businesses, including Libatex, a distinctive textile supplier, and Stacey Garcia Inc., a licensing firm and design house. She's also an internationally renowned designer for forecast and forecasting expert who partners with manufacturers all over the world to create products that span from the floor to the ceiling. You were voted as one of the 10 leading voices in the hospitality industry and it's associated by the American Society for Interior Designers. And you're also the chairperson for the Color Marketing Group. When we met, you were like, you were the standout. We were on a panel together years ago at uh, Hospitality Market. And um, at High Point, it was at, high, yeah, at high Hospitality point. at Market, right? At, right. right. At high Point Market, right. And I, just, I mean, it took like three seconds to say, I like her. <laughs> Let's just stay in touch. So here we are. Well, I had, you know, anyway, kind of the uh, professional crush on you because from Color Marketing Group years ago, you were one of our keynote speakers and you were truly inspiring. I think it was when you had recently launched one of your books. Yeah. And um, and I had, I guess, the book and, and a postcard that I had kept. It looked like a little thought bubble. Uh, and yeah. right. And maybe like yeah. a rainbow color behind it, something. Um, but I, I definitely remember being really inspired by your talk about the retail experience, about sort of that the idea of how people shop, how consumers move through store spaces, what makes us pause, what makes us want to buy, what touches us on an emotional level, what keeps us in the store mm. shopping for more. And you had really dug into the psychology of that. And I remember from Color Marketing Group just being so enamored with your thought process with the way that you viewed your role in, uh, you know, kind of that whole being able to teach people through psychology of, of how we tick and, and what inspires consumer buying behavior. So 
um, when I heard I was on a panel with, you know, the famous David Kefron at the time, I was really excited, but it was the first oh. time. Um, and I probably introduced myself saying the same thing, you know, back in the day, uh, you were on color marketing groups, uh, one of our, our keynotes. So it was really fun to be on that panel. And yes, I think we were fast friends after that. It was 2015, I think, in Florida, Color Marketing Group. You know, I just launched the book, uh, Retail Revolution. Yeah. Um, and um, what's, I think, interesting about this conversation now, that was uh, I was in the retail space. I was designing stores for, you know, mom and pop shops and international big brands, you know, and um, shifting to the hospitality space really opened up a completely different world for me. Because when you're a retail designer, you don't think so much about furniture and fabrics and and those kinds of other textiles those things don't typically show up in a store maybe they do more now uh, but it really opened up a whole new world where i didn't know how to make a carpet uh, but i've learned you know i didn't know how to print fabric or or weave or make you know wool you know things um and uh, the difference between tufting in a chair versus something else i mean those are all things that are Interesting because the growth curve, and I want to talk about this later, is a growth mindset, which I, I know you aspire to. Um, there is, There has been no curve to my last five years of sort of professional life. It's a vertical line. It's on the y-axis. It goes straight, and it hasn't yet begun to sort of bend, which is so exciting because I, I, I get to learn every day, which I think is very much your mindset also about, I love one thing you said, you get an idea in your head of what you want to do and, and you never settle until you accomplish it. And, and then you don't just stop because you've heard a few no's, you know, you take no's as not yet and you keep on pushing forward. Right. I, and I say that, you know, my talks and when I'm mentoring people is like, I, I say I'm like immune to that word. Like N-O doesn't process as that. It does process to me as not yet, maybe later, the timing's not right. I, I, I always... In my mind, I, I truly do believe that if you have the commitment to your goals, whatever they are, you know, as an individual, as a professional, as a parent, as a spouse, as a company, whatever those goals are, it's chipping away at getting there. And so, um, like you said, it's just perhaps that I need to grow more in order to get there, or perhaps the timing's not right. But I, I don't, I don't hear the word now. Retranslation of no, meaning not yet. Correct. <laughs> always. And so it always means not yet. That must really annoy some people. I was right? just going to say it drives people absolutely insane. <laughs> and I think, you know, there are people who, you know, we've finally done business with who will attest to that to say, you know, um, in fact, it's funny. I spoke to Desiree Worsley uh, recently. She's an executive at Shaw. She was one of our first licensing partners. Um, the conversation went something like this. I had reached out just to say, listen, um, I want to touch base and, and see how she was doing during these, you know, kind of crazy times. And to have the opportunity in this level of my career to really say thank you to people who had mentored me, who had opened doors for me and who had given me opportunities. And so um, I, I thanked her for believing in me and, and giving me the opportunity to put a licensing deal together with Shaw at the time. Um, and she said, I don't think I had a choice. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you bit down on my ankle and you weren't going to let go until I said yes. <laughs> so do you ever know, like, okay, seriously though, I mean, there's got to be a time where you've, you've said, okay, this really means no. Uh, or is it always, is it always a not yet regardless? And maybe not, a, it's maybe not, maybe it's no with this person, but it's 
possible with it's aspirin? It's always a not yet. And I, I've convinced my team, which is so fun to have them reflect back to me. Um, we're going through the process right now. We're developing out an e-commerce site. So I'm really excited about that. I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but I'm really excited about uh, this new venture that we're stepping over the threshold on. So our goal is to have it up and running and live by the fall of 2020. And what we're hearing is, look, there are large companies that we said, hey, they have a great product merchandise mix. We want to be able to sell, obviously, some of our own product that we've designed in the market, but also product that we've curated, things that we would use in projects and interior design or things that we would recommend to clients. You know, there's lots of great product out there. We're not the only talent in the universe. So I think part of what we could bring to the table is a curation, you know, sifting through because there's so much stuff out there. So bringing a, a curated view. But what we're hearing from some of these uh, vendors, you know, some of these importers is, hey, we're not opening up any new e-com sites. Nope, sorry, we don't need any new customers right now. We have more, you know, we got enough. We have enough distribution. Thanks anyway. And at a recent meeting, I heard one of my team members say, hey, you know, they just, they just don't want to open us up yet, but they will. They'll come to us. Don't worry. You know, it was like they, they didn't hear no either. And that made me really proud. You know, for that's me, that was just a really exciting moment. But that sort of tenacity of it, that's, listen, you grew a business, um, uh, I imagine for a one, for a long time as a one woman show uh, you know, and, and not easy to do as a woman a leader in businesses, certainly in the hospitality space. I think that's also very difficult to do. Um, but that idea of a growth mindset, you know, where you're, you're not going to see the world as deterministic. You're going to continue to push on that go button um, all the time, which is, which is really interesting. I, I love the, the not yet mentality. I'm going to guess, you know, Carol Dweck and growth mindset um, and the work that she's done. Uh, she actually used that in, in a great TED talk too, just, you know, to support this fabulous idea that um, people who have that ability to keep on pursuing, even though they come up with huge obstacles um, are exactly the kind of people we need you know, to, to run businesses, to change the mindset of corporations that are so stuck in the same way of seeing things, uh, the yeah. same way. But let me ask you about this because I, I find it curious about one of the things I've discovered about the hospitality space. I probably know time more than the present to actually uh, always see things in terms of not yet. It's tough to be in that creative space, I think, and look out into what we're experiencing now and Find a place of comfort, right? With the idea that it's not yet, it's not yet, it's not yet. There are a lot of people who go, well, when is it? When is it? Yeah. You know, if it's not, if it's not now, when is it? Like, when is my time to really to flourish, you know? And I think that came to me a lot in the past year where I said, listen, you know, I, I want to spend my, more of my life um, thriving than striving. Yeah. And I think that has pointed me in a very different direction to say what really fills me. You know, what really gives me the most pleasure about what I do? Who are the people who I want to surround myself with? I don't know the job per se that I want to have if this isn't, if this isn't a job, um, but that there is a, a palpable feeling about where that needs to be. Yeah, I love that. Of You know, it's really sort of focusing on that thrive, not yeah. strive. And, you know, I'll, I'll add another rhyme into the mix, but I think a lot of people do their best to just survive. And I, I think, you know, it's transcending that to say, no, no, I deserve more than that. I deserve more than just to survive. 
That is true. Um, there is also a large swath of the population for whom surviving really is just baseline, right? I mean, I think there's no in in any kind of crisis for sure. Um, and and to remind ourselves that some like some days, that's good enough. You know, some days survival is just good enough, and that's enough to feel proud of for the day because that's the best you got that day. But it's not. It shouldn't be the goal. Have you ever had a product that was just good enough? that you thought, eh, you know, this is not my favorite thing, but someone's going to really love it. Well, not only have we had product like that, we have purposely fought to put those products into our line. That's interesting. Because when you look, when you bring the KPIs into it, you know, some of our best relationships are, there's the secret sauce to those is the mix of creativity, unique items that pull people into your selection but offering enough of the everyday usable basics that they can shop those from you too. And mm -hmm. I think when you don't have that mix, it's really hard to, to sell enough volumes to keep everybody whole, you know, like you have to feed, you have to have something that feeds the ability to be creative, mm -hmm. you know? And so for us, it's selling, you know, some of our best selling wall covering is texture. It's, you know, it's linen-like texture that's not super creative, but we offer some really great versions of it. That's and, you know, that's the stuff that you can sort of put miles up in a hotel. But the really wow pieces, that's the stuff that gets us excited. That's the stuff that gets our clients excited. They come to our boxes for the wow, but they can shop the basics too. And I think in that, not to say it's good enough, but it's important. You know, those are the critical things. We we run into trouble when we just get hired for the sizzle. And, yeah. you know, so there has to be that balance. So the hospitality world, it seems to me, works in a very different cadence than the retail space did. You know, retail comes up with new products every every quarter. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to an ex-executive from Bed Bath & Beyond um, yesterday. And so she's really lived in that world. And we were talking about retail cadence because it's it's actually one of the things that we're working on as an initiative in my business. So we're we are transcending um, to grow our company from only hospitality, which is really where we've lived for 20 years, um, and to be able to produce product for consumers. And we've done that pretty successfully, but we're not selling direct. So our next move is going to be a direct-to-consumer site, um, really curating the content. Some of it's going to be exclusive product that we're designing. Some of it is going to be merchandise product that's in the market, but that we think is beautiful. So really uh, being able to sell other brands on there as well in, an, in a highly edited, curated way, because I think there's a an opportunity in the market. I mean, there's great stores out there that have had major lift during COVID as people are sitting at home and going, wow, I really didn't, I need a new chair. I need a new desk. I need this, right? The Wayfarers and the Overstocks and these sort of major marketplaces. But I think it can be really overwhelming to consumers as well who aren't sure how to approach design, who aren't, you know, this isn't their training. They didn't go to school for it. They can see a pretty picture, but they don't know how to replicate that in their home or where to start. So I think as with any opportunity, when there's people who are winning because they're they're offering everything under the sun that you could possibly shop for, um, that's one business strategy. I think there's always the opportunity to say, well, we'll do the editing for you. We'll do the work for you. 
you can come here because it's easy to navigate. You know, the selections have been limited by people who are designers so that you can easily shop it and replicate it in your home. So that's something we're working on as well. Um, To go back to answering your question on the hospitality side, you know, it is a slower cycle, as you said, because they're major investment pieces. I mean, furniture typically is, whether it's hotels or residential, it's not like fast fashion. Um, So when you look at the retail world, although traditional retail does update four times a year. If you look at fashion from a retail perspective, they're updating every six weeks, potentially, Mm -hmm. you know, especially fast fashion. So there is that more kind of disposable mentality. But in homes, I think there's a trend that we're seeing both in homes and hotels um, that is less about disposable goods and more about quality. I think that's something that's being led not just from a sustainable mindset, but from the idea that I really don't want to surround myself with junk, you know, I, I think this opportunity where people have been sort of sheltering in place, being home has put you more, you know, much more tactile daily basis with the things that we've chosen to surround ourselves with and how important those things are, how important those decisions are to the quality of your life experience. You know, these are the objects um, that we surround ourselves with every day, whether it's a simple coffee mug the table, the chair that you're sitting on, um, kind of what are those things? What kind of soul do those things bring to your space? You know, how, what is the experience when you interact with those and how does that either elevate your life experience as you're going through that motion, whatever it is, or kind of bring it down. And so I think people are really getting more selective with what they're choosing to surround themselves with. There's this idea conceptually of minimalism, but it's not a nothingness. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, there are people who've taken it to the extreme. I think the idea of minimalism is really more of an editing that's happening and and people choosing to surround themselves with items of better quality. Um, And so from a turnaround time on the hospitality world, that at any sort of decent brand, um, there's a set standard that says, you know, we're not going to put junky product in these rooms. We want the franchise owners to be investing in products that are going to last them from a case goods perspective, like you said, up to 14, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, so they, they have to be of a certain quality to do that. And, but the product design cycle for us is a quicker product design cycle because we're, we're having to reinvent new collections every year because there's franchise owners and independents who are going to be opening properties every year. And so we're not, you know, even though a brand like a Marriott might scheme out, you know, their standard scheme, let's say for uh, one of their properties, and that scheme might live how long? Three years would be a standards program. And then you reinvent that program from a negotiating perspective. We're designing new textiles, new carpets, new furniture, um, basically on a yearly basis to continue to inspire the interior designers and the hoteliers with things that are resonating today and will work forward five or seven years forward. And so we kind of constantly have to evolve that color palette, that thought process. We're seeing it now on hyper alert, right? I mean, the things that are happening in the market today give really crystal clear examples from a forecasting perspective, you know, going back to a color marketing concept. Like for those of you who are listening who don't know what that is, Color Marketing Group is the premier international color forecasting association where professionals who are involved in choosing colors 
for a variety of products, pay a membership due and participate in the forecasting process. And what that means is we're sharing our ideas. We're sharing what we're seeing. We're sharing what's selling. And we spend a lot of time talking about, quote, drivers in the marketplace. And when people who are not involved in forecasting want to know what that is, drivers can be a multitude of things. We see it from an environmental perspective. We see it from a political perspective. We can see it from um, changes in economies. We can see it from cultural perspectives. There's all kinds of things that will drive consumer preferences. And that's really what we're looking at is what's going to be important to consumers? What's going to make them make a buying decision? What is that flavor going to be? That's that trend going to be? And that doesn't come from nowhere. And so we see it now, even from a trend in cleanability, right? Like looking at the COVID crisis, that's a major driver in new product development. How, what's the cleanability factor? Are we going to go back to, you know, materials like copper that are inherently antimicrobial um, and antiviral? You know, how important are those material selections in the, the process going forward? And then more than that, even from a visual perspective, how do the color palettes that we choose communicate to the end customer, this is a clean room? The upside, I think, to um, this idea of biosafety now being part of the design thinking process that uh, hospitalities is introducing or should be introducing is that that actually was... <laughs> One of these great consequences, right, or outcomes of these things, because I think a lot of people would generally speaking say, ick, hotel carpet, you know, do not sit or lie on the floor um, because there's been all manner of people who are coming through. Who knows? You know, we take off our shoes at the front door. Well, that isn't the case when you get into a hotel room. There's all kinds of things that are inherently non-healthy. So I think that's going to be a really interesting change to reconsider how the impact of that will happen in the, the experience of a, of a hotel room. Well, but it, even interesting with that, right? Because it was the same kind of initial blink was, okay, what does this mean? Are we going to go all hard surface? You know, what does this mean? Um, but some of the studies that were done even back in 2011, looking at COVID, not 19, because that obviously wasn't around until now, but the COVID viruses have been a strain of virus. You can look at your Lysol cans, you know, from things that you had in your house prior to this. COVID was always listed on there as a viral element. Um the studies are showing porous surfaces that the viruses are dying faster on porous materials than on hard surface. Mm. So for whatever reason, they're just not able to attach and um, live as long, which is interesting because carpet actually would be considered a textile porous surface, which might be better for inhibiting um, the life of that the virus. So, you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to have to be shown um, what the real science is behind the different materials and then how to best deal with disinfecting those rooms and still communicating through visual story, through material selection and design, still communicating that well to the end consumer. I mean, we saw it years ago with bedding, you know, when sure. um, the news shows were showing those blue lights and, you know, they come into the hotel room with the blue lights and, you oh, that's so disgusting. And, you know, what comes out of it is a white bedding program in all hotels. I mean, 15 years ago, I mean, I've been in this industry a long time, more than 15 years. I just don't want to date myself, but I couldn't convince somebody to buy a white bed. Right. There, there was no way. I mean, we were designing things with heavy pattern on purpose. So that if they, I mean, it's disgusting, but if somebody, you know, burnt a cigarette hole or dropped their pizza on it, it was a much more forgiving thing from a housekeeping perspective. Yeah. 
it's interesting because housekeeping, this is housekeeping and operations. Um, it may surprise some people to, to, to know that they are such a hugely influential integral part to that design process, because you can't imagine the number of things that I would have come up with as a cool design, architectural interiors, sort of aesthetic. And then you get the housekeeping or you get the operations guys in there and go, yeah, well, how are you going to clean that? You know, that's a really cool wall type. How are you actually going to clean that? And what can we use on that to clean it? So I think there's be a lot more awareness and consciousness around that being a driver to experience without minimizing, like not putting everyone inside a, you know, a stainless steel box. Um, sure. Which on its own might be interesting, but. Um, Even on furniture design. I mean, you see it really anything limited service and below, you're not really seeing super leggy designs. You know, there's too much room for dust to get trapped under furniture pieces. So you're sort of always putting uh, like a drop kick underneath so that you can just bump your vacuum cleaner right into it. You're not worrying about that kind of, you know, empty space underneath. So there's all sorts of considerations that go into developing every item that goes into a hotel. And like you said, it's not, it's, it's a fine balance of customer experience, that visual and tactile experience really tempered with can housekeeping maintain this space at a high level. You know, is it going to have appearance retention over time or is it going to get destroyed? That was part of the idea that uh, when I was um, involved in rethinking how the cycle of uh, change would happen, we were saying, listen, you know, from a brand point of view, there's not a whole lot you should change unless a brand platform is changing. But mm -hmm. what we really want to be able to do is continually portray this image of the product delivering on quality, right? So whatever it is. So I think the moment that, and if that means that you have to change out chairs every three years, well, that, you know, and or reupholster them, then you need to do that. But I'm really more, once you're into the family of the brand and you, you love that particular brand, there should be no reason to change. But what we really want to maintain is, is your perception that this is a high quality product that can withstand you know, the test of time. So that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Before the 20, this 2020 period, um, I think it was projected that um, business trips were forecasted to reach something I read uh, 483 million you know, business trips would happen in 2020 in an article recently. Um, and then there's this pandemic and the, the business world ostensibly has been put at least on a, a pause. Um, you're a traveler. I think you, you generate a lot of your inspiration from traveling to far off places, coming back. My wife used to do a travel show as a travel host. And she said early on, no travel changes you. But now that the world has so fundamentally shifted, where are you deriving your inspiration for this year's product when you haven't been able to get out and go anywhere to see those things you might have otherwise found to be the moment of inspiration saying, oh, that's the thing we're going to do for this season? I know. You know, I think you always kind of respond to what's happening. And like you said, what you go out and curate for yourself. So I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a piece of my soul that was, you know, a little sad. <laughs> over my inability to go um, sort of follow after that wanderlust piece, because I, I do, it's very much part of what keeps me happy and healthy and fulfilled. I love getting out. And then I love returning home. Mm -hmm. But those experiences really do shape me as a human. They fill my, my soul. They are a source of inspiration. And it's everything that you can't get from looking at a screen. There's a piece of me that is, is very much unfulfilled that I, you can't get as much as you try to replicate it through a screen. So I can sit and look at the images and sort of have that, 
you know, imagine where I'm going to go next. So I think that's sort of part of what I'm doing to fill that gap. Um, the other thing I did was say, okay, well, what, what can I do comfortably? So we actually booked an RV and we're going to do that and go to uh, the national parks in Maine this summer and, you know, just try to have more local experience, something that I feel personally more comfortable um, and in control of from a, you know, cleanliness perspective. Um, but I think as things unfold, we'll get there again. I mean, this is not a permanent pause. You know, we'll get there again. At some point, I will just put my mask on and my hand sanitizer and I will get on a plane and I will travel because I have that need, you know, to, to go out. In terms of where the inspiration is coming from, my problem is not where do I get the inspiration from? My problem is always there's too many things. <laughs> so the edit down of that. But it's interesting. We just launched a collection of carpet for Brinton's that was very much inspired by the idea of biomimicry mm -hmm. um, anyway. So it was a trend we had been looking at sort of how we as humans experience the world from different perspectives than we were able to do it in the past. You, you mentioned sort of the speed of change, the speed of technology, how things are happening, how rapidly things are able to move. One of those things is just that whole concept of the way we view our world and we move through it and we experience it is completely different. We're seeing things now from drone perspectives, right? Like you get you get the opportunity to experience whether it's Google Maps or or just a you know drone cameras or hyper microscopic. We have the ability to jump on and you know you can kind of go through the rabbit hole online and have access to imagery that's just openly available that would never have been available before, except in somebody's mind or computer simulation. So, oh you know, I think there's so much of that that's influencing the way we all view life. We, we all move through our space and interact that it was a source of inspiration for us for this new collection. You know, so it was more than just biomimicry. It was almost biomimicry merged with technology that became the jumping off point for, for the inspiration. The whole world of uh, biophilic design which you know uh, became very uh, key to the thinking of Weston um, as mm -hmm. a brand, very very deeply rooted in the idea of, of uh, biophilia. Um, it's not surprising to me that those things that come from nature somehow make people feel uh, more at ease in places, right? Mm -hmm. So, from your point of view, um, as a designer of of textiles, fabrics, furniture, you know those kinds of things that we surround ourselves with, uh, how deep does that go in terms of, are you consciously aware of designing colors, textures, patterns that sort of change the emotional experience of a place? It's, you know, I think it depends on what we're being charged with as a design studio. Um, we are working actually right now on a, a new prototype concept for a very large distributor. Um, so I'm really excited about that, you know, which is more full room uh, concept, really packaging that room. And so, yes, to answer your question, we we did approach that with a much more holistic um, view because that was what we were being charged with, right? Come come up with the concept, utilizing our, our designs, our furniture pieces, our lighting pieces, uh, and package this in a way, but come at it from a perspective, like you said, of putting people at ease, making them feel well, communicating cleanliness, communicating uh, modern design so that it felt very now 
And but giving it some, you know, we sort of took this approach of a little bit of nostalgia as well, because I think that sort of that rooting in nostalgia makes people feel comfortable too. sort of gives you that emotional connection to the space. And so the color palette was very consciously chosen, um, using some of the warm wood materials, mixing it with the metal materials and really coming up with this cohesive story. So when we're looking at it from a, a holistic approach to a room, it, it does have to incorporate how people feel when they immerse in it. That's the job through the interior design lens. But when we're, we're charged with designing a, a product, you know, maybe it's a furniture collection, we take a different approach because it's not necessarily a holistic design. The approach for the furniture collection is really doing more of a forecast from a trend perspective of what's happening in the marketplace. Where might this be used? But each designer who specs that product is going to have a different take on how they incorporate it into a space. So our job with furniture development or any kind of collection development really is making sure we're we're hitting the mark on taste levels. We're hitting the mark on whether those are the material colors, the wood tones, the shape, the scale, the functionality of the piece, right? I mean, we used to design pieces that had to accommodate huge TVs. As that technology shifts, the way you design product shifts around that. So it's our job to really create a product that's unique, but that's not screaming for attention, except for our pattern design. I would say that's probably where we have the most specific signature pieces would be with pattern. You can look at a pattern and say, oh yeah, that I know that's a Stacey Garcia. We play with scale, we play with color. We're really known for some of those signature pieces and that mix of sort of contemporary with traditional. I think people will spot our things, which is fun. But some of the other pieces really have to live more harmoniously where we don't want to steal the stage. I imagine, at least in my, my process has been adding products to my home, furniture, textiles, other things, decorative elements. That's an additive process that happened mm -hmm. over a long period of time. I imagine this less frequently that someone comes in and says, trash this room, start with tabula rasa, go from scratch and, and build around that. I've had a uh, fantasy about doing that <laughs> many times, but it is an, it's an additive process. And to, to create um, a way for people to take elements and create signature moments within this otherwise very eclectic uh, group of things. Yes. That is not easy to create products that can do that, I would imagine. Or are yeah. you creating one-offs or objects, individual objects? We call those the hero pieces in our office. So yeah. we sort of say, yes, there are times where we are charged with creating a hero piece, truly signature, more sculptural, more wow, more of that moment. And so that's the that's the reason for that, right? And we're doing that right now on the residential side where we've created these gorgeous collections of upholstered furniture. And then within those offerings of a traditional sofa, you know, playing with profile, wanting it to be ours, wanting it to be unique, but knowing that, like you said, that sofa might have to live a life of 20 years in somebody's home. What else can we bring to the table? So we design these hero pieces to complement them that would be these sculptural moments that would really add a moment of wow to the space. That's where the focal point goes. The rest of our product development, though, and you bring up a great point. This is something we, we noticed years ago with our process in our studio. We would develop these collections of textiles, you know, fabrics or carpets or, or wall coverings. And we would iterate off of them. But rather than it being this, oh, here's the new trend for the season and, and scrap the old, our process was a very iterative process where we would say, we always want to connect the dots from season to season. 
so that if you've specified, you know, this upholstery from three years ago, three years later, when you go because either of, um, you know, loss within the, the company, right? Somebody loved the pillow so much they walked away with it or that you're up for design refresh at that point, that there would still be pieces within our collection where you could pick up that orange color again with, mm -hmm. you know, something new. It would weave its way through over time. So it's much more of an evolution within our collections than what we'd say would be a revolution. You know, I don't want every season for it to be such a revolution that a designer can't come back to us again, three years later, five years later, and find pieces that work. Yeah. Do you think that um, we're moving to a world where we have evolution, but at a revolutionary pace? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Future is Faster Than You Think. Mm. And, um, and it's talking about all of the convergence of technology that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, the world as we know it, you know, sort of how we function is going to look very, very different um, to all of us. And, you know, there are people who are on the cutting edge of this, but it's going to affect everything from, you know, how we travel to um, how we get our goods and services. I mean, we're experiencing it, I think, at a micro level right now where there's been disruption like Airbnb, like Uber and Lyft, um, you know, like Instacart that says, you know, all of this can be sort of crowdsourced and outsourced and um, really elevate the experience for people and change the way we we do things. But, you know, autonomous vehicles is not something that the Jetsons are talking about. Like, it's something that's under development now that's sure. that's had, you know, millions of miles of road testing at this point that's coming. Yeah. Having grown up in the Jetsons, I was talking, uh, and, and Star Trek and all of those things there, uh, anyone who knows me will know that, you know, my ultimate you know, desire is to build the holodeck of, of guest experiences, right? Where yes. I can walk in and say, you know, whether I can go in subjective mode or objective mode and, and, and turn those places into my place because they somehow reference my own sort of aesthetic quality yeah. and the people who I want to see there. Um, it's a fascinating subject for another day, but it does bring up this idea that my son's uh, live in a different world than I did. My dad literally, you know, when I, when I made things with my father, um, he would straighten nails, right? If the nail was bent, you didn't throw it away. You straightened it, you know? And right. so we had this piece of railroad tie and his uh, Ukrainian father uh, was a cabinet maker and, and did all the interior decorative work for the CN Railway and for churches and things. And and so their attention to the detail and the, and the art of the craft and the lasting nature of things is not at all where my sons live. They live in, a, in an ephemeral world where things move quickly through them. So yeah. how, how do you stay relevant in the production of, of your creative, you know, work to a group for whom it doesn't have to last forever? They're not going to have the same chair that's going to be there for 20 years in their house. Or does that influence your design thinking around how to remain relevant and, and what will sell into the market, given that things move so fast? Of course, but you know, I think there's always that counter trend, right? So as much as things will move fast and we will get to the point, I mean, just like the personal computer wasn't something until it was something, right? It was a, a dream and Bill Gates and some of the others brought that and, and you know, I'm sitting here with three screens in front of my face right now as I'm talking to you, as are you, and we're looking at each other. I know we're, this is gonna be a podcast, but we're filming it, you know, on a, a video screen, very much like the Jetsons. The idea of 3D printing is going to be something I believe every house will have. Um, 
And so, like you said, you won't need to straighten the nail. You'll just print out a new one. There's materials now, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of materials that are being used successfully in 3D printing. So you're not limited just to the plastics that were there a couple years ago. I mean, it's it's incredible how fast this type of technology is moving and how it really will change the supply chains. You know, we won't need to hold inventories on things. You won't even need to go to the store for many things. I think you'll be able to just download um you know, the hammer you want and print it. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, market disruptor to the way things are are produced in the next, you know, probably 10 years or less. But back to sort of furniture or objects, whatever those objects are, it is going to substantially change the way we acquire objects because you will probably just be printing them yourself. I know that sounds super out there for some people who are listening to this, but I'm telling you it's coming. There will be, though, that counter trend of wanting a sense of heritage for the same reason that people need to experience travel in real life, go out and smell the smells and taste the tastes Mm -hmm. um, as Mm -hmm. much as, you know, virtual reality or augmented reality gets you pretty close and will get closer in the future. Going and doing it is is still a different experience. Um, I think people will put a value, I think, on, on those objects of quality, on those objects of heritage. Um, as more collectors potentially, but really be picking and choosing the things that make them feel something that really have a sense of emotion or soul or history or story about how they acquired it, that it wasn't just something that they printed. It will have more meaning to them. The key thing for me, you've mentioned this story, um, the rings on my fingers, right? I saw, Mm -hmm. I got a lot of hardware folks. Um, (laughs) I'm wearing six rings on 10 fingers. Um, each one of them has a story right. and, and I wear them because they're reminders of those stories, whether it's my 25th wedding anniversary in Paris, where I walked the streets with my son or the ring that my son actually made because he was interested in metal smithing or the one that was a drop off, uh, you know, a trip that we took to drop my, my older son off at college on the West coast. This, the story that is imbued into these things that we surround ourselves is so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, do you try to do that with the design of the products? And is that story obvious to people who might buy those things? Can you read the story in the design? We've always found it challenging because we had told the story as a B2B company, designing products and communicating the story of the inspiration to the interior designer or hotel brand that would specify the product. And they would, you know, they would love it. They would see the beauty in it. They would feel the story. They would feel part of it. It would inspire them. And it would get specified into the the project somewhere, whether it was carpet, furniture, lighting, a textile, um, the touch and feel of that, the, you know, the materiality of it, the the color, the tone, you know, what it said and why it was chosen was important to the interior designer. But it was not, it's very hard to communicate that as a piece by piece to the end consumer, right? Mm. They come in and then they're stepping foot into either a boutique or a brand that's trying to tell their holistic story. I'm a supporting actor in that space. Um, and that's okay. And we've, we've recognized that as our job, right? You know, as, it's almost like the interior designer, when you're really doing your job, the design is seamless. It's like you're, you're, the consumer is immersed in the experience and nothing is, you know, shouting at them. It doesn't say I designed by so-and-so it's the experience becomes inevitable 
to the person who's who's there when you've done your job really well. Um, and so we've been always really comfortable with saying, hey, it's our job to tell the story to the specifier because they're the ones who give us the part in the play, so to speak. It's interesting because that would be very much aligned with the way I would think about the world of retail design, where for a long mm -hmm. time I said, listen, it's not about me as a right. designer. Now, you can go and you can hire your star architects and you can find people who are uh, who are going to give you that signature architectural expression of the environment. Great. Um, but in, in the end, what I'm doing is it's the merchandise that is the star and the table can only be so awesome before the table ends up being... Um, not supporting actor, but becomes the star of the show. And that's not the objective at all here. You know, the architecture shouldn't totally overwhelm in the retail space, the product or the assortment that is really the thing that people are coming to get or to see. It's just, and I love the idea that it plays the supporting actor role. Uh, right. it, is, it supports the brand story, the narrative. Often as an architect or designer commissioned to create branded experience places, I get a brand brief. It gives me a bunch of language about what that brand is, who the customer is. And my job is to go off and create places or things that somehow are imbued with that aesthetic that represents the language, right? Yes. Um, that is an intriguing design challenge to, to be able to, to support somehow because it, it is, uh, it's turning words into objects or environments. Is there a similar similar feeling in what you're trying to do in creating objects, textiles um, that literally, like you say, go from floor to ceiling? Um, where, Or is it the role of the designer to take your portfolio of beautiful things and help them make the story from that? Like you said, sometimes it's starring role, sometimes it's supporting actor, and, and all of it's okay we really do try to take each brief that we get and then appropriately design it. So like I said, if the brief is create a collection that's going to have longevity in the market and be able to be sold across the country, that's very different than create a signature wow moment for our next trade show booth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where, you you know, there's a specific reason, like you need people to stop yeah. and take that 15 minutes to talk to your salespeople so then you can sell them you know, the 20 new vanilla textures, right? You know, there's there's different reasons to get people to kind of move through your space or, or interact with the product, depending on what it is. But it's an interesting challenge, as I was saying, moving from only hospitality into consumer, because we are starting to have these conversations with our brand leader um, over the consumer markets to say, how do we now tell the story, not just to the interior designers or hotel brand owners, how do we now communicate the story forward to people who are not design professionals, but who perhaps are interested in design or who are going to want to buy, you know, sofas, accessories, sheets, towels, all of these things. Um, so they feel emotionally connected to it so that they, they're part of the story. Yeah. They understand it. It means something to them. As we move forward, uh, it's going to be increasingly important for guests and customers to begin to understand that they want to write themselves into the narrative of the story. That 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 it in, and in doing that, it becomes inherently more relevant for them because they're part of it. Rather than simply yes. saying it's created in a corporate headquarters somewhere, I go and buy it this season. And I've often said, you know, hope you like yellow sweaters this season because if you don't, well, come back next season. We'll have blue. Right. That's not the world my kids live in. They want to really be participating in this process. So speaking of jumping off, which um, I wanted to get to a really great quote that you said, you know, I remember when I was first in my business, a saying that said, jump off a cliff and build your wings on the way down. 
um, yeah. and, which comes from Ray Bradbury, the author, and the quote about jumping off a cliff and building your wings on the way down. I really loved yeah. that idea of saying we take a leap of faith into the unknown, but yeah, you'd better start getting it together <laughs> quickly. Yeah, better start flapping. And, and we do, right? <laughs> I mean, I think we, we do. But I, what I wanted to really ask you was, what has that really meant for you in terms of how you run your business, how you run your life, how you run your relationships? And clearly, that seems to be something that you have um, you have connected to as an ideology about how you want to move through this experience of life, right? Can you tell me more about you know, how jumping off a cliff and building your wings on the way down makes sense to you and how you relate it to those areas of business, life, relationships? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's the idea that like perfection is the enemy of progress. So to me, it sort of goes right along with those lines that I think in life, we can sort of wait until we feel like we have all the skills that we need in order to be successful at something. Um, continue to read about it, learn about it, study about it, talk to people about it, interview until we feel like we have it perfect. But what happens is you could spend a whole lifetime in that discovery phase and never actually jump off the cliff. And when I mean it, you know, obviously you want to be smart about it. You want to feel that you have enough skill set that you're not going to just fall like a thud to the bottom of the valley, but that you have to have faith that you've got enough of the skills and that you have the ability to research on your way because it's it's a metaphorical cliff, obviously. Um, the idea is, is you're going to just take that leap into the unknown with enough skill set to make those first steps forward. Because I think so many times we just wait for perfection and we, we don't actually get to the doing part. And so, you know, for me, that idea of just jump, just take that leap, take that, you know, that metaphorical leap off the cliff and trust that the knowledge that you need, you know, the opportunities will, will be there for you so that you can sort of build your metaphorical wings so that you can glide and fly and not, not fall. But that the view that you'll have from there is going to be so much better that that experience of building it is going to be better than just learning about it in a book. Did you ever fear the leap? I fear it all the time. And it's interesting. I mean, even in these times, right, right now we're living in this pandemic moment. So, you know, if you're listening in the future, uh, right now we are in 2020 and sort of a couple months into this whole COVID thing, but it's forced people to reinvent. Um, I'm going to use the word that's being used in the media right now, which is to pivot you know, people are sort of rethinking their circumstances, rethinking their businesses. I'm looking at opportunities. I mean, it was one of the first things we did was to say in any crisis moment, uh, whatever it is, there's always opportunity. And so really getting creative and, and trying to be smart about what people need, not play into fear, but really play into our strengths as an organization, as a design company, as a creative company to say there's always creative solutions. and so recently, of late, I've been feeling that fear more often than I had been. You know, when times are good, not to say you can rest, but there is definitely that gliding, that coasting, that, okay, we've got this now, you know, let's just kind of keep doing our thing. We know what we're doing. We can run a profitable company. Um, when moments like this arise where the game changes for you, I think that 
as I said, we look for the opportunities. We started to get creative, and in that creativity arise new challenges. You know, things that we've not done before. And I've said to my team, I can always tell when we're on the right path when I start feeling butterflies again. You know, I can. I always know mm-hmm. we're on to something good when I get nervous because it means that I'm stretching beyond my own comfort zone. I'm stretching the team into a place that that's where the growth happens. You know, when you're nervous to jump off that cliff, when you're nervous to make that next move, whatever it is, and it's a good nervous, you know, it's not like I'm going to get eaten by a bear nervous. It's like, a, I feel outside of my comfort zone nervous, but if I jump, I will figure it out. Like I have confidence that we will make it. Do you think that that's um, a, a key attribute to uh, business leadership to be able to navigate the unknown route uh, for because for your associates. I mean, all these younger designers who are working with you, I imagine they look at you and say, okay, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Let's just go. Um, do you think that's a key attribute to leading, being a great leader is to have that that sense of feel the fear and do it anyway? I think so. It's funny. That's another book. Um, <laughs> but I think that there is that piece of it that comes along with being a leader in general um, is that you're willing to get out in front of the the team, test it out for them, sort of take a look ahead. I was joking with my team recently where I said, you know, you have to trust me, you know, again, metaphorically, like, I feel like I'm holding the machete. It's my job to clear the path. Um, and so you have to trust in in that clearing and that I will come back for you and let you know that it's safe up ahead. Have you ever jumped and and somewhere in the path discovered, oh yeah, I should have waited an extra all all the time. I mean, all the time, right? I mean, that's that's where we learn. It's it's like anything else. I mean, as human beings, if we looked at our children, if we looked at you know the babies, if we expected them to walk out of the gates, like they're not horses, you know, they don't stand up and immediately know how to walk. It's you know our species has to crawl and and in taking those first steps, I mean, I have four children, so I've witnessed it, um, you know, blessedly multiple times. But when you watch people take their first steps, they fall and they fall and they fall, they fall, they fall, they get back up and they try again until, you know, they finally master it. And I think the same can be true of business. I think the same is true of career. We have to allow ourselves the opportunity to fall and get back up again and then fall again and get back up again, because it is how we learn. We can learn from other people. I think there's nothing wrong, certainly, with doing that research, reading the books, um, trying to avoid the paths that don't make sense, You know, trying to avoid the pitfalls. If there's a map, certainly there's nothing wrong with following it. But no matter what, I mean, I think in business, if you're going to innovate to set yourself apart, innovation requires the faith to go off the grid. You know, it, it requires the the letting go that, you know, there's not always a roadmap ahead. In innovation, you're the one creating the map for yourself, for your business, you know, for the companies that you're um, partnered with. And so I think you you do sort of learn how to get comfortable with that discomfort. I think that becomes part of, at least for me, that's become part of my process is knowing that the more comfortable you get in that, you know, we're doing something new with those butterflies, sort of the the easier that becomes, you know, you, you sort of get used to living with that. And it is sort of a rush. And um, 
you know, like I said, for me, I, I was excited. I get excited when I say to my team, hey, those butterflies are back. I'm feeling nervous. It's, you know, that's a good sign. You've been on the way down for a while. Your wings are built. Um, <laughs> and, and where are you soaring to next? Oh, I love that question. So, well, thank you, first of all. Um, I appreciate that. The idea that the wings are built. It's been interesting because what happens is, you know, once you sort of accomplish something and you set something out for yourself, you jump off that cliff, you're kind of on a, you're unsteady, you're not sure how to fly. And if you don't smash to the ground, you have the opportunity to figure out how to glide. Um, but what happens over time too, is you get comfortable with it, right? And you go, okay, I've got this now with my eyes closed, right? All right. I know how to do this. This is now something that was once so challenging and, and sort of scary in the beginning, you really build a skill set over time. I mean, you know, as I said, I, I launched my first company 20 plus years ago at this point. Um, and so a lot of things that once I had no idea are now very much embedded in, in just business as usual. And I think what happens, especially as creative people, you know, we, we're constantly looking to, to what's that next, you know, what's my vision? What's my vision? What's the next level. What's the next level? Love. But, you know, where do we, where can I go next? What can I conquer next? What can I learn next? How do I stretch myself more? Not everybody's wired like that. You know, that was really an interesting epiphany I had probably a decade ago um, with one of one of my team members who I assumed like would want to travel because I loved to travel. I was begging for the opportunity, you know, when I was early on in my career to go work with our sales teams, visit the mills, do the night shifts. Like I, I was so eager. Um, and so I had sort of assumed everybody wanted that. And what I learned, which was again, to me was eye opening, like not everybody wants that. You know, there are people who, who don't, who look at me like I'm absolutely nuts, who are sort of like, why are you never satisfied? You know, what, what is it slowed down? You know, just live a little, just kind of be a normal person, <laughs> you know, enjoy just the, the sort of simplicity of life. Um, but I think when you're wired as a creative, I know it's not just me. I think creative thinkers are constantly doing that sort of thinking about, what could it be like? How do I improve? I think we're wired to want to improve things around us, you know, mm -hmm. add value to those around us, solve problems. You know, we, we sort of call ourselves these creative problem solvers. I feel very much like I have my wings sort of at this atmospheric level where we are today. We don't want to get bigger for the point of getting bigger. You know, to me, I think we have to be really, really clear in our goals. And, and so this was one of the challenges that my team and I have been batting around is to say, we've been challenging ourselves to come up with our 10-year plan, our 10-year goal. You know, what cliff is it that we're going to be diving off of this time? And I think, you know, you have to start with some kind of, you know, what's that financial goal, right? So that's always part of business planning. But we, we came to a point where we all sort of said, you know, this it's not about the number. Like at a certain point, you know, because we're not a public company, I don't have to, you know, con consistently strive to just bigger returns and bigger returns and bigger returns. I think at some point you have to say, well, what's the goal of the journey? How do I want to feel on my journey? You know, what is it? What are the emotions I'm trying to stir up on my journey? What is it I want to create along the way? And so what's the goal of the brand or what's the goal of the company? You know, how do we want to feel about our product, the people we're doing business with, and what is it that we want to do to help people? 
you know, what's, what's our mission with this. And then not to say the money will come, but I think, you know, if you can build a business where there's enough of a steady platform and a comfortable profit at some point in whether it's business or in your life, you hopefully, you know, come to a point where you realize you're comfortable enough. The goal at that point isn't money. You've gotten past the basic needs. You know, you've gotten past to a point of being comfortable. And, and then it really becomes about, you know, what's, what is the journey for you? So what is thriving? I think, you know, I just sort of wanted to come back to your statement because I think it was really powerful, but that idea of, I, I want to do more than survive, but I also want to do more than just keep strive. You know, striving for me has to be about something deeper than just collecting more stuff. You know, it's, and there's nothing wrong with striving if you're striving for those moments of, you know, what does that peacefulness feel like? What does joy feel like? You know, it's okay to strive and there's nothing wrong with striving for money, but at some point you, you know, you get lost along the way. I mean, I think you have to really remember that it's about the journey and how you feel about the journey, how you feel on that journey. We just had sort of the beginning of a vision day and we have um, two half days scheduled where our leadership team on the design side is going to take two half days away from our regular work schedule to just set out um, an agenda for vision building, to, to set our vision for the next three years for what our company is going to look like. Um, and ultimately, even for the next 10 of where we think we want to go, because being able to think far in advance like that, I think takes the shackles off, takes that weight off of like, wait, that can never be done. How am I going to accomplish that? When you start thinking in decade periods, you remove a lot of the limiting beliefs, you remove a lot of the obstacles in terms of your thinking. But when you start to say, okay, wait, time out, what do we want to accomplish in a decade? Like, where do we want to be 10 years from now? 10 years, a long time to get shit done. 10 years is where they say, if you really want to become like a master at something, if you want to be the best, you know, they say you stop what you're doing and for then every day for the next 10 years you practice it it's about a decade to become really like right. an elite master at something right. well if you can become an elite master in a decade imagine what you could do for your business in a decade if you put your head down really got focused on that vision and chipped away at it day after day after day week after week after week month after month we're going to look like a different company in a decade. And especially being able to piggyback off of technologies that we would never have been able to afford. Um, it's, it's kind of like a sky's the limit thing. Now is the time with all of these converging technologies for us to really start to think about, all right, where can we put ourselves? How do we become part of that, you know, jump on that train, that disruption train that's happening and really start to envision how people are going to be living a decade from now. What are they going to surround themselves with? How are they going to travel? Um, not get too far ahead, but to move in bite-sized pieces. And I always get excited when I hear from my team, like, I'm a little nervous. You know, this is outside of my comfort zone or like, you know, we need to have our training wheels on again. That means we're on to something. Like whenever we feel a little unsteady, I know we're moving in the right direction. I'm curious about this idea of the making magic, right? Have you ever, when you know an idea is right, when you can see the the long view here and just know that this is something good. 
you're then in a position where it's not only you who has to think it's good. You got to convince a lot of people around you that it, it that's equally good, right? Or and bring them along on the ride with you. How do you convince somebody of the idea that needs to come to life who are hesitant or are simply in that place of fear, but I'm not going because I've never seen this before. How do you deal with that kind of experience? So that's a great question about sort of selling your ideas forward. And I, I was just this morning having a conversation with one of our younger team members who's taken on a sales role for us. And the idea that this is a skill set that really takes you through life, this concept of selling. So whether you're in the design business or you're, you know, in the, the I joke with my husband, the accounting world or, you know, whatever your role might be, you could be in a customer service business, whatever your role is, even as a parent, you have to sort of be in the sales, in a sales function because you're constantly selling your ideas forward. So even if you're not trying to convince a person to buy an item in a traditional sales function, you know, even if you're not going door to door with encyclopedias, um, the idea that a sales skill set is a skill set that really carries you through life because in essence, it's, it's a way to negotiate, it's a way to navigate, and it's a way to communicate your ideas to convince somebody to come along for your ride. And so, you know, we sort of really talked about why I, I believe that it's such an important skill set to have. Um, that and, and the idea also that if you can really crack the code on how to be a salesperson, how to sell your ideas or how to sell a product, that you sort of never go hungry. So what are the top three attributes of a great salesperson? Oh, I, I think um, we come back to that idea of fear. I think you got to get over the fear uh, to be able to make the calls, do the emails, just keep reaching out to people. So you have to get over that fear of rejection, I think is yeah. one of the top three attributes of a great salesperson. I think the other attribute is that you pick products that you really believe in. So you're not in it just to sell stuff because that's very, you know, sort of singular transactional. I think a great salesperson is in it to build relationships and they do that because they believe in their product. And when you believe in your product, you really get up feeling like you'd be doing a disservice by not making the next call. Like yeah. this product is going to be so important. It's so good that you'd literally be doing the person a disservice by not making them the offer. And so I think that deep belief in the products are selective about the products that you're selling. And I think the third thing is, you know, persistence. So once you're over the fear of rejection and you really have a product that you love, I think the key with any successful person, sales or otherwise, is being persistent, just getting up every day, little by little and working, working at it, little by little every day. Some of the futurists say that, you know, the next 100 years, we won't experience 100 years of change. We'll experience close to like 20,000 years of change yes. at today's rate in 100 years. So take that back 10 years. Okay, so you're going to experience 5,000 years of change yeah. in the next 10 years. But but what I love about, and, and the reason I think that you are so successful at what you do is a sense of compulsive curiosity yes. and, and the willingness to like literally throw the Hail Mary pass every day. You know, and, and, and just, I don't know, I don't know where it's going to land, but you know, I, I know where the ball's going and I'm hoping this is, you know, for those of you who like sports analogies, my wide receiver is going to make it through that mess of defenders who are going to try to slow him down, knock him over. And, but if the ball and, and the receiver land, well, that's going to be magic. Right. Yeah. And you don't know where that is exactly, I think. And that's hard to tell, but that I believe, I believe 
is part of a new skill set for leadership who are adaptive and resilient in the face of unprecedented change yeah. every day. So, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where that, you know, Hail Mary Pass lands for you. I'll, we'll see where that is. You are a um, social media marketing maven. <laughs> um, Trying. You know, everyone should go immediately to at Stacy Garcia Inc. on Instagram, which is fabulous. You do the Design Uncensored series, bringing together great voices, something that people should always know about. Is there anything else that's a little magical thing coming up that you uh, can tell us about that you're, you're about to start? I being? know. Yeah, so much. So I appreciate that. And, you know, definitely I think it's checking out our social channels because that's really where we um, put out the new information. I just put up a new Facebook page at Stacy Garcia Inc. So if if you want to see sort of glimpses into my home, into the different wigs, the different looks that I have uh, at any given day. I've been doing these kind of really um, behind the scenes, very homemade videos, which are fun, um, getting good feedback on those from some of the design community, which is nice where they say, I love that it's not super like polished. Um, it just feels really relatable. So I'm doing some of that. And just look forward to, you know, being able to collaborate with great minds, great talent and bring out cool things together. So that's great. Well, Stacey Garcia, thank you. It's been a real pleasure as I anticipated it would be. Thank you so much for having me, David. This has been so fun. And, you know, it's, it's always hard because there's a million other things I want to talk to you about. So like you said, we'll stay tuned because you're also have graciously uh, accepted to be a guest on the Design Uncensored live show, which is at 5 p.m. Wednesdays on my Instagram. So at Stacey Garcia Inc. there. And I'm excited to be interviewing you next time. We'll turn the tables. All right. I'm willing and ready. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Stacey. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Next Level Experience Design. And please remember to subscribe and share with all your friends wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out notes and links and other information like transcripts on the Next Level Experience Design webpage at simplecast.com. Also, follow me on social at LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all of the information about upcoming shows and information on our guests who every day are taking it to the next level.